0: Orchard Community Church Sunday morning podcast. We are glad you are here to learn, grow, and deepen your relationship with Christ. This week's message is brought to you by Pastor Matt Hoyt. In 2001, the Richards family of Canberra, Australia, set the Guinness Book of World Records. For the most Christmas lights that had ever been placed on a home. The number was 331,038 bulbs to be exact. Now, this retina-scorching record stood for a full decade, but then in 2012, Tim Gay and his family from LaGrangeville, New York, bested them. They decorated their home with 346,283 lights, and to add insult to injury, not only did they take the record, they synchronized their lights to music. But... The Richards family, they didn't like losing. So in 2013, the Australians up the ante and they put 502,165 lights on their home. It equaled 29 miles worth of wire. But there's always room for more lights, right? So in 2014, our heroes from New York covered their house and their yard with a whopping 106,736 lights. It took two months to put up, spanned two acres, and included over 200 synchronized songs. Tim Gay told the Guinness Book of World Records, my family and I are thrilled to bring the world record back to the U.S., and that record has stood until just this year when they beat their own record and upped their number of lights to 687000 Well, I love Christmas lights, too. In fact, every year when it comes time to put up the Christmas lights, I get way more excited than our kids even do about putting them up. And one of my claims to shame in this life is that about 10 years ago, when I was putting up the Christmas lights, I wasn't being careful, and I fell off my roof onto concrete. I crushed the bone in my arm and ended up in a wheelchair for about eight 10 weeks in rehab, but I want you to know what I did exactly one year to the date of my fall. You want to know what I did? I got back up and put the Christmas lights on the house. That's right. Well, this year at Orchard, our series of messages for the Advent and Christmas season has been called All I Want for Christmas Is This Time of Year. We find so often that we have a lot of wants in our hearts, a lot of things that we'd like to get for Christmas. Sometimes we make Christmas lists, but at the same time, so often in a deeper place in our heart is a different list of real needs, of real hopes that we have That phrase, all I want for Christmas, has become iconic, hasn't it? All I want for Christmas is my two front teeth. All I want for Christmas is you. And I think one of the reasons that that phrase has become so iconic is that it taps into a real truth about us. And it's that in the human heart, there's an awful lot of longings for all kinds of things. And I think around this time of year, for generations, people have prayed, God, all I want for Christmas is and so many different things. But it's right here that this phrase runs into the confusion that we so often have between our wants and our needs. And so this year here at Orchard, as we've been walking through this series, we've been focused on the fact that God's desire at Christmas isn't to fulfill all of our wants, but that His desire, in fact, is to give us the things that we truly need. Because the truth is that it's so easy for us to get wrapped up in the Christmas lights, isn't it? And all the stuff that goes along with the season, all the things that we like and want. And these things are, they're okay. In fact, many of them are really good. But there's a trap that we can fall into with them. And that trap is mistakenly thinking that these things are what Christmas is about. And we can miss the fact that the birth of Jesus has real meaning to it. The birth of Jesus has real power to it. And all that other stuff, as good as it is, just doesn't have any real meaning or power to it. And I think that's why Christmas can be such an amazing letdown for people sometimes can be kind of like a beautifully wrapped present that you open up and find that there's nothing inside, no substance. And I think that that happens sometimes because without even knowing it, we've substituted the lights and all the stuff of the season for the actual true light, the true meaning and power of Christmas. And that's what we're going to try to get to tonight. So friends, pray with me. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would speak a word to us this night about the meaning of Christmas, about the difference between Christmas lights and seasons trappings and true light, the light that comes in Jesus, that we might celebrate, Lord, in a deep way, not just the season, but the birth of the Savior of the world born this night. This we pray in Jesus' name, amen. I want to invite you to listen to the Christmas story one more time, only this time from the book of John. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of a human decision or of a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. Now, when we think of the Christmas story, most often we think of the story that Joe read just a little while ago from the Gospel of Luke, not this version. But this passage, this is the Christmas story, too, just told in a different way. The author, the Apostle John, doesn't focus on the details of Jesus' birth like Luke does. John concentrates on the identity of Jesus and the meaning of his birth so that he can help us to really grasp who Jesus is and what his birth means for us. So what I want to do is invite you to walk with me through this passage to see what we can learn from this different telling of the birth of Jesus. So we begin in verse 1, and at first glance, you might not even know that this passage is about Jesus. John calls him the word here, which is another name for Jesus in the Bible. And notice John opens with the words in the beginning." You remember those words from anywhere? Yeah, they're the very first words of the Bible in Genesis. And John uses those words here to illustrate something important, to illustrate that Jesus coming to the world has actually been a part of God's plan from the very beginning. You know, sometimes people get this idea in their mind that Jesus was some kind of an afterthought that God created the world and was watching it kind of spin, and people began to sin, and they think that maybe that was a surprise to God. And then God said, oh my goodness, I better do something. Let's, uh, you know, let's send Jesus down there to fix this. Well, that's not how God operates at all. God has had a plan from the very beginning. So John calls Jesus the word here because that's the name by which the Bible refers to Jesus before he was born. John says that before Jesus was born, he was with God. In fact, he says he was always been with God from the beginning. He actually says it twice, again in verse 2 for emphasis. And it's not just that Jesus was with God. Notice that he says Jesus is God. The Word was God. So Christmas, the birth of Christ, is about God himself coming to this world in person, in the person of Jesus Humbling himself to such a degree that he would become one of us and be born as a baby. It's about the incredible lengths to which God has gone to reach out to us, to seek to have a relationship with us. Can you imagine for a minute what it must have been like for God, the creator of the universe, to lay aside his power and majesty to become a baby, a helpless baby? Boys and girls, you're all big boys and girls right now. How would you like to go back and be a baby again? Not so much. Yeah, not so much. Well, I have to tell you, I can't imagine what that would have been like. When I fell off the roof, I had to rehab my arm and be in a wheelchair for about seven months, and I hated every minute of it. I can't imagine what it must have been like for God to humble himself and to put aside so much of what he would normally be able to do just to be with us. To further make his point, in verse 3, John says that Jesus was involved in creation. Now, Jesus came to the Jewish people. Jesus was a a Jew himself. And for the Jewish people, God alone was the creator. So when John says that Jesus created, it's another way for John to say that Jesus is God. John wants us to know that Jesus is the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He's someone who not only loves us, but he's someone that we can truly believe in. He's someone that we can truly place our hopes on because he is the living God. In verse 4, John also says that in Jesus there is life and light. Now as the creator, Jesus gives physical life to everyone, but John's actually not talking about physical life here. The word that he uses is a word in Greek that John only uses to refer to spiritual life. He's talking about a powerful kind of spiritual life that Jesus came to bring to us that can fill our hearts, that can transform our lives. And it shines from Jesus so that we can see in him the great hope that we have from God. But notice verse 5, it says, the light shines in the darkness. Jesus shines into a world that's often filled with darkness, and we know that darkness, don't we? We know the darkness of the shadow that this pandemic has cast over our world, bringing sickness and death and destruction. We know the darkness of every school shooting, of every terrorist act, of every war. We see that darkness in the racial tension, the political divide. We see it in the loss of kindness and civility in our nation. And if we are really honest, We can see that darkness in the places that it creeps into our own hearts and our own minds. And with so much darkness around us, it can be hard at times to hope, to believe in something. And I think so many people have prayed, God, all I want for Christmas is hope. All I want is someone to believe in. So John says that the dark world hasn't understood the light. That world understood, it can also mean overcome, and some Bibles translate it that way, and I think both of those are what John meant. The world doesn't understand Jesus. It can't quite ignore him or forget him either. This is especially true at Christmas, I think most people on some level know that Christmas is the birth of Jesus, but so many of them, they don't know what that means, and they certainly don't know what to do with it, and some of them would like to kind of erase that whole truth completely. And so they celebrate the birth of Jesus without him, and do you notice that they long to be filled with the holiday spirit, whatever that is, and to find hope in the Christmas lights and the stuff, instead of taking hold of the true light, the true life and power that we find in Jesus. Well in verses six through nine, John begins to tell us about another John named John the Baptist and he says in verse six that John the Baptist was a man sent from God. He's actually the one that the prophet Isaiah said would prepare the way for Jesus when he came. And in verses seven and eight, John explains what John the Baptist's mission is. He says he came as a witness to testify concerning the light so that through him all might believe. So John knew he wasn't the light. Jesus was, and his job was to point to the light. Interesting fact, if you look at old paintings of of John the Baptist, like Renaissance paintings, so often they take his forefinger and they make it really super long because he's pointing at the light somewhere outside of the picture often. I didn't know that was true. I did a Google search and I found that that is an interesting thing about John the Baptist. Well, verse 9, it's clear that what we can have in Jesus is amazing. John the Baptist testified to this, the true light, he said, that gives light to everyone is coming into the world. John is saying that Jesus is the real deal. He's saying that there's Actual true light in Jesus, actual hope in him, that he's someone that we can believe in and literally millions of people over thousands of years have found that to be true. But there's another hard truth that we have to reckon with and it's that the things of this world don't provide the kind of light and hope that we would want. James Taylor is one of my favorite songwriters and singers, and he has a song called Shed a Little Light. And in it, he asks God to shed his light on the world because, he says this, you can't get no light from a dollar bill. You can't get no light from a TV screen, he writes. And he's absolutely correct. The media certainly doesn't have any answers for us, and... Money helps a little bit, but not a whole lot. And it can be lost so quickly or spent. Beauty, power, pleasure, status all fade. And even the people who love us let us down sometimes, or they leave, or eventually they pass away. And eventually, we all pass away. What then? And the science and technology that so many people today look to for answers and somehow to provide um, a better way of living, it isn't working either. Do you know that right now today in America, loneliness is on the rise? Stress is on the rise. Anxiety and depression are on the rise. Suicide is on the rise. It's not working. Because there's no real light or hope in any of those things we've been talking about. But in Jesus, there is. Yet with verses 10 and 11, John says that when Jesus came into the world, many people didn't recognize him for who he was or the light he brought. And that's still true today, isn't it? People often turn away from faith. They turn away from Jesus, almost as if it was just too easy of an answer that God could actually love us, and want to reach out for us. I think others maybe are worried that somehow they're not good enough for God, that somehow they don't measure up in some way. And so they live longing for light and hope for someone or something to believe in. You know, there's that old saying, there's no atheists in foxholes. Have you ever heard that? I know some people under 50 are like, what's a foxhole? It's a hole you hide in. The whole point of that saying is that so often it's only when life gets really hard that we see or maybe are finally willing to admit that we don't actually have a lot of hope or light to cling on to into this life. And that's when we often only then become more open to faith. And God knows that this life is hard. He knows how much we need light and hope and life He knows how much we need someone to believe in. And so 2,000 years ago on this night, Jesus was born. And John says in verses 12 and 13 that if we receive Jesus and we believe in him, we can be transformed. We can live into our actual true identity, and he names it there. And that identity is that we can become children of God by faith. And then John closes the passage By finally proclaiming that Jesus the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's why when we look at Jesus with eyes of faith, we see the glory of God. Because he came from God, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the true light. And he can bring life and hope and grace and truth because of God's great love for us. And God's desire to know each of us and to have a relationship with us that my friends is what Christmas is really about so God's desire at Christmas is not to fulfill all of our wants all the lights and things that we might think we need his desire is to give us what we really need true light Jesus a relationship with him that can fill our hearts and transform our lives Pastor Wayne Cordero writes this. He tells this story. He says, when my daughter Amy was three years old, we had uh, her in preschool, and they had a Christmas concert. So we filled the room to capacity. Every parent was there equipped with a camera and the biggest flash it could bear. About 30 kids came out. Sounds a little like tonight, actually. About 30 kids came out and filled the risers one willing-hearted teacher came up front and led them in singing Joy to the World. She had a nylon string guitar that sounded like it probably hadn't been played since last Christmas's program and probably hadn't been tuned since last Christmas program either. Nevertheless, she was willing The kids were only three, so they could barely speak in complete sentences, let alone sing full stanzas of music. Undaunted, the teacher began her solo, Joy to the World, but the kids were more interested in finding their mom and dad's, hi, mommy, hi, daddy. The teacher kept going, joy to the world. Then Amy saw me, and I took a picture of her. And the teacher kept singing, joy to the world. Then one of the little boys in the back row began to fall off the riser. He took seven or eight other little boys with him, bang. The teacher kept singing joy to the world. It was absolute chaos, and when the song was done, I was the first one to jump to my feet clapping, and all of the other parents did, and we gave them a standing ovation. We took pictures. It was like Haley's Comet had just shot through the building. We were so proud. And after it was done, he says, I walked outside to get some air, and I chuckled to myself, and I thought, we just gave a standing ovation to the worst concert I have ever heard. We just took pictures of the worst concert I've ever heard. And then I thought, but wasn't my Amy good? She is so cool. (laughs) Why in the world had I applauded? Well, it wasn't because of their performance. It was because my little girl was up there. I applauded based not on performance but on relationship. When I was thinking about that, it was as if the Lord spoke to me and said, Wayne, That's why I applaud you. It has nothing to do with your performance. It has everything to do with the fact that you have a relationship with me and you are my kid. And my heart began to melt and tears came to my eyes because I began to understand what pleases God most is the relationship that we can have with him. And friends, God wants to have that relationship with you. He wants you to be his kid. He wants to cheer for you. So God gave us Jesus so that we could know him, so that we could know his great love for us and have that relationship with him because that is what we truly need. Some people worry that they're not good enough for God, but it has never, ever been about that. It's always been about simply accepting God's love and grace and believing This is the true meaning. This is the true power of Christmas. It's not about all the lights and presents and stuff. It's about the fact that God literally touched this world in Jesus, and he did so because he wants to touch you. He wants to touch your life and be a part of it. Because that baby in the manger grew to be our Lord and Savior, and all we really need for Christmas is, is you, Jesus. Amen. Pray with me. Loving God, we pray that you'd speak to our hearts, maybe in a way that you never have before, about the meaning and power of Christmas, about the fact that on this night you touched the world, literally, in the person of Jesus, and you did it very specifically so that you could touch our hearts and our lives. And Lord, we pray, each one of us, that we would know that touch this night. This we pray in Jesus' name, amen.